Kids are dismissed if they haven't gone. Actually, they're going now. So, kids, we pray for you. Would you turn? Would you turn? I don't even know where to tell you to turn because we're going to be in a lot of different passages. You could go to Exodus chapter twenty, where we're going to read the first, the sixth commandment. You could turn to Matthew chapter five, where I just read right before the offering. You could also turn to James chapter four. You could turn to all of those things. So the point is, have your Bibles out or devices. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black Bible in one of the chairs in front of you. And we would love for you to have one of those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, and you could take it home with you, put your name in it, and use it. We'd be glad for you to have that. That would be a really good use of that Bible. And we, we'd love for you to have that. Would you turn? Well, I'm going to read, I'm going to read first this chapter 20. If you're new with us, we are in the sixth sermon of a series on the Ten Commandments. So we're in the sixth commandment. Here's our scripture reading for this morning. You shall not murder. Period. Four words for such a heavy commandment. My my son Barnabas last week in driving into church, he said, well, I guess next week your sermon will be shorter because it's only four words. (laughs) I said, don't. I said, don't bet on it. (laughs) I don't want to shortchange you. This passage this morning is addressing each one of us. And I believe that each one of us, even now, would be able to say that this commandment that I just read will reveal to you and to me a real problem that you and I have. My problem in this commandment, or this a problem that is comes into my heart as I read this or study deeper on this commandment. The reality is, my problem relates to my violation of the first commandment. We break the sixth commandment because we break the first commandment, which says you shall have no other gods, and instead you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. The problem is that we love ourselves. We desire other things, good things, in a way that control us. And all those things impact all the other commandments. So let's look at this commandment. And I want to ask this question. How do followers of Jesus Christ live out the commandment, you shall not murder? What does God want for us to understand about this commandment, and how do we apply it to our lives. And so by doing this, I want to simply give you three commands that flow out of this command. Three commands that actually are progressing in in levels of difficulty. So the first one, it's really important. Not as difficult to get at least the, the, the letter of the law there. The second one, oh my goodness, oh Lord, help me. And it just continues. The first one is, this command means that we are, and if if you have a bulletin like this when you came in, the back sheet, the back side of this bulletin has an outline. It will provide like a table of contents of my sermon. Um, 
the first point I want you to see, the first command is hate the unlawful killing of human life. You and I are to hate, despise the unlawful killing of human life. That is what this commandment calls us to. Now, I want to add a phrase. We are to hate the unlawful killing of human life, and we are to hate it for God's sake. There is to be welling up in us a desire and a motive that is because I love my God with all my heart. No, we need that. But So let me, let me, let me d- dig into this first command, imperative, assertion, hate all unlawful killing of human life. Murder. The word murder in this commandment is not the same as just the word kill. Like old translations like the King James Version had, you shall not kill. It doesn't say that. It says you shall not murder. Murdering is the unlawful killing of human life, usually with malicious intent. You shall not murder. Pretty clear. And in the Bible, we learn, especially in the Old Testament, that this commandment forbids intentional premeditated murder. So, for instance, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and 11, but if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally, and he dies, and he flees, and he goes to a city. The elders of the city shall send and take him there, hand him over to the, an avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel so that you may be, it may be well with you. Point is, he planned it. Intentional premeditated murder is forbidden in this commandment. So, in, so is intended unpre unpremeditated, meaning I got so mad, I killed him. I didn't plan it. It also means that, in fact, we find as you read through the law of Moses, you actually will find, and I'm not going to spend time on there, but the scripture says that reckless homicide or negligent homicide, where you knew that there was a danger, but you weren't careful, and you just recklessly went, and somebody got killed because of your intentional, or you should have known, but you were lazy and you didn't know. The Bible says they were to be put to death. Scriptures speak as though and make the implications that abortion is forbidden. The killing of an unborn baby. God knit all of us in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And no, not one of us has the right to end life in that way. This includes suicide. Quite a hard subject. Most of us know somebody that has taken their life. And the point here right now is not to tell you or tell anybody struggling with suicide, hey, don't do it because of the sixth commandment. But God wants us to cherish the gift of life that he has given to us. It really matters. That includes assisted suicide and euthanasia. Any type of Removal of life where we decide to do it is forbidden in this commandment. Now, this commandment does not mean that there are other types of killing that is actually allowed in the Bible, like self-defense. In fact, somebody asked that to me recently about is self-defense. What if, what if there was a, a shooter and we defended ourselves and we defended my family, we defended the church? Is that a sin against 
the sixth commandment of you shall not murder. In fact, Exodus 22, 2 makes it very clear it is not the case. It says if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, meaning you defended yourself and he died, meaning you're not guilty. Romans 13 says just war. There is a type of just war in which soldiers go to war. We're going to be sending off Matt. Is Matt Porter's headed off probably to be deployed to Afghanistan in this coming year. Just war is not a violation of murder. Capital punishment. Many people will say, well, the Bible says you shall not kill. So the killing of life through capital offenses where a government says the death penalty is required. Well, isn't that a violation of the sixth commandment? The scripture says no. In fact, it says quite the opposite. Genesis 9.6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Remember the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and you are to love me with all your heart. Is the heart behind why God would give such a commandment you shall not murder because he wants to say, if you love me so much, you need to love the fact that I put my image in every human being. They're made in my image. And so you are to treasure them in a certain way. There's a movement out there called right to life. I like it better. The sanctity of human life. God gives and takes away our right to life. Only God should do that. But we are to cherish the sanctity of human life. And, and we could say a lot of reasons why, but the scriptures give us at least two reasons why we should, we should cherish life, why we should hate the killing, the unlawful killing. And, and one is it, life, human life is a gift from God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift from God. Sometimes it takes faith to feel and experience the gift. But it is a gift from God, and God says, I give, and I will take away. And you need to trust me, and you need to cherish my gifts. And secondly, because God made us in his image, every human being, every unborn baby, every person you come across, whether they are ugly in your eyes or beautiful, whether they are in a place of needing our pity, or are feeling our praise, are made in the image of God. And for that reason, those that grow to love God say, I hate the killing of human life in unlawful ways because I love God. I love his gift. And I want to cherish what he cherishes. So, so that's the, the first command. Under the commandment of the sixth commandment. The first one is kind of like, Okay, check. I haven't done any of these murders. I've, I, I've wanted to, but that's, we're going to get to the second one here for a second. But, but I haven't. I, I haven't done this. And I want to stop here before I move on. Said abortion is a murder. It's not the unforgivable sin. Neither is suicide. Or any of those things, and God gives grace. He saves murderers all the time. 
and he shows mercy and love in the gospel is for everyone that murders in our heart or even murders literally if we repent and we turn to him. So that's the first command. First command under this. The second is this. We are not only to hate the killing of unlawful, unlawful killing, but we are to take seriously our evil thoughts. Okay? That's the second command. When we think of this sixth commandment, we are to take seriously, like under examination and go, wait a minute, I have evil thoughts. And how does that relate to the sixth commandment? All of you, but I, I think I can say this because this, this, wor- this book speaks to our human condition, every one of us. You have evil thoughts. Um, Matthew 15, 18, Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth, so swearing, just complaining, um, vengeful insults, judgmental words that are unfair, just fits of rage, lies, slander, what proceeds from the mouth, this defiles a person from what From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, murder. Murder comes from the heart. Every thought we are to care about. Genesis 6, 5 said that after the flood, and the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of heart only evil continually. Jeremiah the prophet says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we need to come to the grips that in our nature, in our sin, we have evil thoughts and oh, we need help to deal with it. The sixth commandment says to each of us, we need to take this seriously and just go our merry way. We look in the mirror of God's word And we go, I have a problem, and we we need to deal with the problem in the way that God points us to, offers to us, the only way that we'll deal with the problem. In forbidding murder, the wise sages who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism three or four hundred years ago said this, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the causes of murder, such as envy, anger, desire of revenge, and he accounts all these as murder. Uh, uh, Michael Horton wrote in a book, he, he said this about this, not long ago I had a conversation with a Jewish rabbi, a friend, who said to me, you know, one of the greatest differences between our two religions Judaism and Christianity, is the idea that you've committed a sin by desiring it or thinking it. That's what Christianity says. You actually commit a sin by desiring it or thinking of it. We believe you actually have to commit the physical act before it's really a sin. Otherwise, the rabbi said with a a chuckle, (laughs) we'd be sinning all the time. We are, I replied. That's the whole point. All of us, as we face the sixth commandment, we come into something that all of us probably struggle with. 
And we need to be repenting all the time and asking God to change our hearts. So when I say take seriously evil thoughts, I mean sinful anger, hatred, revenge, bitterness, fitful rage, evil desires that are related to this. Did you hear the commandment in the, ten, in the Sermon on the Mount that I read right before the offering? You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, but I, and whoever murders it will be liable to judgment, meaning the death penalty in the Old Testament. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, that means, means an, out, an insult to them, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus was not adding to the law. Jesus was not saying, in the Old Testament, that was this way, and now I'm adding to it, and this is the Christian version of it. He was, he was saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount, people have misunderstood the heart of the law of Moses. Because that you that sinning actually can take place even in the heart. And the very root of anger is bitterness. And the, the root of murder is bitterness and anger and hatred and revenge. And that is a violation just as much. You see, God is about changing not just your external behavior. He, he wants like you to... Go right to the depths of your soul so that you'd love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and you'd love your neighbor as yourself. We could read on to a lot of passages. I, I just, I encourage you this week to read passages of the New Testament. Take out a smartphone or take your computer out and type in Bible on anger and you're going to find it all over. You're going to find it in Paul's letters when he says the works of the flesh and then when he starts to talk about the works of the flesh, he's going to talk about anger and envy and spite and slander, things that are related to the category of anger. We got a problem. In James, he talks about anger. The anger of man does not ever produce the righteousness of God. James 4 one says, what causes all your fights, all of your quarrels? He says, in fact, it's not that this, that you have these passions, wars that are going on inside you. you. You desire, but don't have, so you murder. And he's not talking about little murder. I think he's talking about you murder in your spiteful, argumentative, it could be your passive-aggressive, cold-shoulder way. He says, because there's something deeper going on. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you've heard that it said an eye for an eye, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. He was not saying governments, you should be lax on criminal punishment. He was saying you in your personal life, you are not to go eye for eye. You are to be the last person pursuing revenge, and the first person seeking to be patient, forgiving, and restorative because you've received mercy. This passage, when he said, you shall love your enemies, he was saying, you are to live out the heart of the law that God gave because, because it's like your father who loves his enemies so much that he sends his own son to die for enemies and make them into family. Anger. The sinful desires that we need to take seriously. You know, I struggle with anger. Yeah, I do. It's not probably fits of rage. 
It's not the kind that want, any doctor, friend, or counselor would say, you need to go to anger management. Mine often comes in the form of simple irritation, can lead to sarcasm. I probably can hide it pretty well. It might come out in forms of annoyance, frustration, being distracted and bothered because, well, things aren't lining up the way I want it to be. I mean, I was illustrated that, this was illustrated in my life this week as I was studying and I was thinking about this, this concept of anger and, and just the simple little things like um, yesterday. I'm, I'm tired. I want to relax. Trying to clean up the kitchen. Something happened where we had to redo our whole pantry because of, that's a long story. So we had all the food out. It was all spread out. And Molly was cleaning and painting and taking care of it, things that needed to be done. And I looked in the sink when I was trying to clean up the dishes so that I could go rest and have a peaceful time and feel good about myself by being a good husband. And, and, and I looked in the left sink and it was full of paint water. And I looked at her and I said, why is there paint water in here? I can't do the dishes. That was a form of angry irritation. I wasn't thinking, oh my, this is not honoring to the Lord. How can I, how can I help this situation and encourage Molly? First of all, it wasn't dishonoring to the Lord. I was annoyed and I said to her, why is it this way? And she just said something like, where, is it, what, where, am I, where else am I going to do it? And I just stopped and I went, oh yeah. And I, and I realized immediately, mainly because I was working on the sermon, that was, that was really unhelpful. And in fact, it exposed the fact that I, I valued my comfort, I valued my rest, my deserving of, of my world being shaped to be the way I want it to be that afternoon, rather than caring for God's honor and the needs of my wife and my family at that moment. And I, my guess is you do that all of the time too. James 4 says, our desires, our passions are at war within us. And when we don't get what we want, we're angry. I want my comfort and my kingdom to revolve around me far too often. Thankfully, God is redeeming me and working in me. And let me tell you about something about you. Uh, I read this this week. My guess is you get angry too. And I know that sometimes your anger is justified. Someone else did something truly wrong to you. And I know that many times our anger, your anger, my anger, is, is not justified. Or it gets blown out of proportion. Or I know that there have been other times when it was right to be upset or to be concerned or bothered by what happened, but quickly our anger got way out of control, way out of line. I also know that whether you or I were right or wrong to get upset, there have been times when anger hung around way longer than it should have, and we became bitter at the betrayal and couldn't let it go, or we brooded, replaying the video of what happened and how I'm a victim. I also know that over time, as we grow older, the mileage of life causes us in our anger 
to ha take on some major complexities because you and I could be upset about something, you're about irritated about something. It has nothing to do with the situation at hand, but the accumulations of frustrations and pains and hurts that just come down on you and you vent and you respond and you kick the cat, even though the cat didn't do anything to you. And, and I times, this is often not mentioned. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. There are times when each of us have an opposite problem. What I mean that is we really ought to get upset, but we don't. And something truly wrong is happening. We ought to care. We ought to be good and angry. And in some way, the absence of appropriate outrage is also an anger problem. Because Paul said, be angry and do not sin. There is a type of righteousness in this anger. So there's a right anger and there's a wrong anger. There's a good anger and a sinful anger. Most of our human expressions of anger is sinful. But I want to I point you to a different way. I want to point you to hope today. You see, the DNA or the core, core of anger, whether it be good or bad, is it is an active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. You're, you're actively displeased. You're unhappy about something. I got unhappy that water, white water was in the sink when I wanted to wash dishes so I could rest. I, I, there, there was an active displeasure, and at that moment, it was really important to me enough to care and to say something that was really unhelpful in the moment. And we do that all the time. It makes us, anger makes us say, that's wrong. I'm against it. It's important, you really it's important enough so we really care. And in each incidences where we get angry, we perceive we have a perceived wrong. It might be really a wrong, and sometimes it's a perceived wrong. And we take a stance of disapproval and we feel displeasure, and then we act in some way. We say something, we respond. Sometimes it's it's we go the other way and we just give the silent treatment. Our anger, our sinful anger is revealed in things like irritability, arguing, bitterness, violence, complaining and grumbling, coldness, coldness to the other person, passive anger, self-righteousness. I just know I'm right. They're wrong. Feelings of self-pity and pouting, trying to get even, Throwing temper tantrums. You see, the heart of sinful anger is, it's about you. This situation is about me. And the reality is, it isn't about me. My life isn't about me. In fact, if it's about me, I'm in trouble. It's about something better than that. The image that are put in my life. And this, this friction, this thing that displeases me, is an opportunity if, if good anger takes place. Because there's things we should get angry about when we see sin, we see rebellion, when we see painful things in people's life. We should have a displeasure that should motivate us to move towards mercy or care or help or God's answer. But too often, I said sinful anger, it's about me, my desires, my wants, my needs, my rights, my plans, my agenda, my honor. And so therefore, I'm insulted. I'm, I'm the victim. 
See, we all far too often want to be God. And it, we weren't made to be there. We are to humble ourselves before God. So, how are you doing? Sinful anger at the core of its displeasure is a motivation for me, not God. For me, not the person in front of me that God has put me in front of my lives, my children. We want, far too often, we live our lives saying, I want, I want, I want. And if I don't get, I'm displeased. And if I'm displeased, I'm going to let you know that one way or another. We might say, I must have the comfort, appreciation, support, love, and compassion of everyone around me. I must have a God that answers all my prayers in the ways I want him at his timing. I must have a spouse that, I, I must have a spouse, and if not, I'm in trouble, I'm, I'm not going to be happy. Or I must have a spouse that does what I want and knows my thoughts and does them before I ask and meets all my needs, or at least responds to what I ask. I must have self-parenting children who just do everything right and do not need the hard work of the shepherding discipline of what God gave them parents for. Instead, we get angry. And it doesn't help anyone. I must have parents that give me what I want and make me the center of my universe. I read, I read this, and I, I just want to say it again. James 4, just James 4. Keep going to James 4. Think of James 4. James 4 says, where do quarrels come from? Where does this heart of murder come from? He says, is it not this that you have passions, desires, but they're self-centered desires. They're not, I shall have no other gods before me. I shall love the Lord my God with all my heart. I shall love my neighbors myself. They're they're me, myself. I'm the center. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not get what you want. And so you murder. Maybe not literally. But we act in the murderous roots of sinful anger, vengeance, spite, hatred, and envy. We all may want good things, but wanting the love of, we'll want the love of our kids, the love of parents, our spouse, the friends. All those things are good. Wanting comfort. I mean, I'll tell you what, one of the American idols that we all find ourselves being angry about, if it's violated, is we want comfort. We want security. And if you take it away, we want appreciation. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be irritated. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. I'm going to be upset with you. These are all good things in themselves. Comfort's not bad. Appreciation's not bad. Those are all good things. But these good desires are not meant to rule you. But they do. See, any desire that rules us other than a desire for God is going to lead us astray towards a sinful path. And so all of this, the sixth commandment, every commandment is a battle for desire, a desire for God. We're now to all the horizontal commands, meaning... You shall not murder, meaning between horizontally between one another. Last week, you shall honor your father and mother. Next week, you shall honor your marriage or you should honor sexuality. 
no adultery, and then we're going to talk about stealing. All of those things are horizontal, but all of them, the foundation, the root of them is vertical between us and God. Do I desire God enough to shape the way I view everything else? I'm so wired to go, it's all about me. She offended me. He offended me. And I was meant to humbly live before God in a whole different way. You see, these desires become, when they're not God, they become our desires. They're just desires. They become a need. Now I need them. And if I don't get them, well, in fact, they become my right. And if I don't get that, I'm a victim. And good desires can mutate into demands that must be met or else. Or else I'm not happy. I'm going to sin with anger. And we began to change when we press in to the idea of good anger, righteous anger. Paul said, be angry and sin not. You see, angry, good anger is different. It loves God and neighbor. And where in the world are we going to get that? And this leads to the third and final command. So the first command was no, hate unlawful killing, literal killing. The second gets really hard or takes seriously our evil desires because they're just... Anger, just, we're all guilty. And the third one is, love your neighbor like Jesus loves you. Love your neighbor like Jesus loves you. Do you realize that this last, all of the commandments, even the commandments like this that have a negative, you shall not do something, you shall not murder, has the opposite. It meant you shall love. You should do the opposite of murder. You should, you are out for the best interest of your neighbor. You should preserve the life. You should pursue what's good for the person that right now you feel like you want to murder. And that's why when Jesus said, you shall love your enemies, he was in some ways saying the very opposite or the, the positive side, the positive side of the commandment, you shall not murder. Not only are we to not take vengeance, but we are to care for the good of the person that has offended or hurt me. Now, this can get really tricky because this does not mean that if you are in a violent or a destructive relationship or situation that you should just sit there and be mauled by that person. You should get help. You should run. You should be able to protect you. But I think at the very least, it means you have in your attitude a forgiving heart that says, Oh, God, I do not want to of your love for me. Oh, God, forgive them. Help me to have a heart for them being saved and rescued from this because they're actually in a worse place than I am. It doesn't mean that you don't remove yourself from that situation permanent, uh, temporarily and sometimes permanently, but it does mean that our hearts are shaped by God's treatment of us. So this last imperative I call us to, like, don't murder and watch out for sinful anger. And instead, let anger be transformed, transformed into the, I guess we could call it the active displeasure that is constructive, and that is mercy. God's mercy. The most famously angry person in the history of the world was God. The most famously angry person in the history of the world is God. His anger is never out of control. In fact, it's called slow to anger. 
but his wrath will be against all evildoers that are not covered by by the provision in which he provided for at the cost of his son. Because God was angry at sin, we are saved. Because God is angry at all that would destroy and crush image bearers from living out the bearing of his image, he sent his only son and poured out his anger on Jesus on the cross. The Bible makes it very clear that you were enemies of God, Ephesians chapter 2. And what did he do with those enemies? He showed mercy. Oh, he had displeasure of our sin. And the way he responded with that displeasure was mercy, grace, and provision through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, how could we ever love our enemies? How could we forgive our enemies? How could we help those across from, in our workplace, our coworker, our boss, all the difficult people in our lives, the irritations that our lives, oh, we better start to, to get grounded more and more with this fact of, I said, we are to love our neighbor as Jesus loves us. Let's just focus lastly on that last phrase, as Jesus loves us. We can love our neighbor or our enemy because Jesus loved us while we were enemies. And he gave his life for us in order to make us family. And God says that he is committed to working in each one of our lives to conform us into the image of Jesus. That means little by little between now and when we die, his plan is to shape within our hearts desires to God and not for ourselves so that when the world sees us, we respond like Jesus would respond. We respond with growing awareness of God's deep love for me, for us, so that we are able to shoulder and not take per- as personally the offenses of others and be meek and gentle. Forgive, show patience, show charity and kindness, bless those who curse us. Apart from God's mercy to us through Jesus and that he laid down his life for us, we can't do it. And apart from the fact that he sent his Holy Spirit to come and abide in every single person that receives Christ and is saved and he dwells within us, apart from that help, we can't do it. But he does. We have as a testimony, if we are Christians, we have the testimony that. We're former enemies. We are recipients of our enemy who loved us so much he laid his life down for us, who gave us his spirit and says, I'm going to make you like me, that you might love me with all your heart and therefore view everybody differently. So much more to say. I want to conclude with this. 1 John 3, 11. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, the very first murderer, who was, the evil, who was of the evil one. He murdered his brother, Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Probably because of envy. There's an envy in there. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. 
We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I'm going to conclude in just a minute. The worship team's going to come up. In fact, worship team, you can go up. We're going, to, we're going to sing here in a minute. I, James 4, which said, why do you war? Because you have passions within you, and so you murder. His answer to all this was, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. If you, if you feel God beating you up with this message, I hope it's God. If you feel, feel convicted about anger, the little irritations and the big bitterness, fits of rage and violence, the, the inability to forgive or to love your enemy, it starts by just falling on your knees and humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God and drawing near to him. And it says he will draw near to you. He's so merciful. He doesn't say, well, you got to run four laps of spiritual goodness and go to church seven times, and then I'll start listening to you. He says, today, I'll draw near to you. I, I, will, I will open your heart a little bit more. I, I will give you grace I'll give grace to the humble, but to the proud, I, I, I'm far off. Cleanse yourself, he says, and purify yourself. His point there is, the only way we can do that is confessing our sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He gives us a family called the body of Christ to help us work through these complicated, difficult, needs wisdom kind of thing, situations. But oh, it is God's will for us to love to love our neighbor as ourself. And so, run away from all evil thoughts and look to him. Lastly, if you're here this morning and you can't say that he has done that in your heart yet, he, that he hasn't said, let me just take, he might, you still might have anger, but if you have your sins forgiven, if you can't say, I know that he has taken all my sin on him on the cross and he has made me his child and he's forgiven me because I've repented of my sins and I believe him and I want him. You might be here today and God's moving and stirring in your heart and I say, receive him. Look to him. Call on the name of the Lord. Ask him to forgive you and to be your savior and your Lord and follow him. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to talk to you about that if you need help in that. I invite you to do that. We're going to respond and conclude this service with a song. And so let me pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. Oh God, I do pray that you would help us to hate all forms of, of sinful anger because we love you. I pray that you would help us in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our schools, with our parents, and with our kids. I pray that you would help us with just long-term, difficult, and painful relationships. I pray that you'd help us with the small irritations, the grumbling and complaining and the road rage. I pray that you'd help us with the things that just feel impossible to deal with. Oh God, I pray that you'd give a spirit of repentance. I pray that there would be a removal of bitterness in this room. I pray that there would be forgiveness. I pray that there would be confessings of sin. Oh God, I do pray that... that the devil would have no place in our hearts, that we would not let the sun go down on our anger. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.